I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ruler Tech Podcast. I am your host, Dan Cavallari. I am here in Colorado in the United States. And uh, today we're talking about e-bikes. Uh, so wait, don't, don't hang up. Don't stop the recording. E-bikes are fun. E-bikes are great. And here we're going to talk about why now specifically, you know, e-bikes in the commuting world have sort of already been embraced, but we talk about things like the, uh, e-road category or e-gravel category. And suddenly people kind of get up in arms a little bit, especially e-mountain bike. Uh, and so I wanted to talk a little bit about what are some of the applications of, uh, e-road bikes and e-gravel bikes. Why do these exist? Who are they for? And frankly, I mean, I would argue they're for anybody, but I think there are some really interesting use cases out there. Later in the show, we're going to talk to Ian Cleverly, uh, one of the editors here at Ruler. But first, my guest here today is actually here in person, which is a rare occasion on the Ruler Tech <laughs> Podcast. Uh, I'm here with Andrew Bernstein. Uh, we usually call you Bernie uh, here in the world of, of cycling. Uh, and Bernie, Bernie's an interesting cat to be talking to. First of all, thanks for coming to the garage here today. Glad to be here, Dan. Thank you for having me. Of course, of course. You're always welcome. Um, Bernie, now you, you've got an interesting uh, use case for, for e-bikes, but it wasn't that long ago that you were on uh, analog bikes as they were <laughs> uh, and, and doing quite well on them. Uh, tell me a little bit about your, your history first as a, as a bike racer. Sure. So I started racing bikes like in high school, like kind of, you know, without any guidance and not really knowing what I was doing, just like, you know, I had bought a road bike and I decided to enter myself into a Cat 5 race in, in Brooklyn where I'm from. It went terribly, of course, uh, as <laughs> sports do when you have zero guidance. I went to college and I got involved in the college cycling club and um, really um, as someone who was, who was athletic and, and had physical, some physical talent, not many, but some. <laughs> the best of us uh, are kind yeah. of like that, yeah. <laughs> uh, I immediately like, just became taken with the sport of road racing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, through college, kind of got better and better. And then um, once I graduated, I, I stuck with it and um, continued racing and, and mostly on the road. And then a little bit of cyclocross uh, and then moved to Pennsylvania in 2010 and was exposed to track racing for the first time. And... Um, it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. It was like bike racing, but it was in a stadium mm -hmm. and there were spectators and there was beer and it was so fun. And so I like, it was the end of the season, but I was me like, okay, next, next year I'm going to get into track racing. This and I, it, yeah. you know, I, I had, I was cat two in the road at that time and I had to start over as a cat four and it took me a year or two to work my way up, but I pretty quickly got to race in the elite fields. 
Um, and I was at that level for a long time and I got to race track nationals uh, a couple times. I raced a lot of UCI uh, C1s and C2s. Um, and I raised, you know, all those events are theoretically Olympic qualifying events. I was not ever in danger sure. of going to the Olympics. Um, <laughs> but it was, you know, for someone with, again, like modest yeah. physical athletic talent, it was such an honor to be competing at that level. Mm-hmm. You know, moved to Colorado from Pennsylvania in 2018. Um, started racing here at the Boulder Valley Velodrome uh, in the town of Erie, got to go down to the Olympic Training Center Velodrome a couple times, yeah, raced track nationals that year in uh, over the July 4th weekend, and then uh, was training for the uh, the Fixed Gear Classic, which was a race in Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was probably going to be like the last race that I was going to do that year, the last big race that I was going to do that year, just because it was kind of the end of the season. Sure. I had to go to trade shows and whatnot. Um, and then I got hit by a driver and nearly died and and survived but had a spinal cord injury and i have a paralyzed leg so that was the end of my bike racing Mm -hmm. career you know for a while i thought it might have been the end of my riding a bike or doing anything um you know now two and a half years after that incident uh i'm alive and uh doing pretty well and riding bikes again and feeling very fortunate to be to be in that position right yeah, and, and I think, you know, you said that with such a steady voice, and I think that's because you've probably told this story a lot by now, but, you know, as somebody who's watching this happen and somebody who knew you then and when that happened, one of the things I always say is it's always terrifying to me when I see those uh, news bits and they say, cyclist hit in Boulder. And I and there's this this weird period of time where you're sitting there wondering if it's somebody you know. Mm-hmm. And this time it was, and that was like... Yeah. Such a jarring experience. And, you know, we were all worried. We were all worried you were going to die. We were all worried that you would never ride again. And so, and I had just ridden with you like a couple months before a sea otter. Right. And so it was really um, a jarring thing to, to see happen. And it is something we all fear. And you're sitting there living through our worst, you know, fears. So it's, and my worst fears too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so to see, but to see you here right now, even with the, 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 the brace on your leg um, is, is, it's like we've exhaled and said, Bernie's here, he's, he's alive. Yeah. And you're riding now, which is incredible now. And we didn't think that would happen. Um, yeah, we didn't know at least, right? Right, we didn't know. And, um, and, you know, here you are, you're riding. And so I think the reason I wanted to talk to you today is because of all this has happened and it was such a traumatic thing. We're, we're, we talked about it in the last four minutes, but this was a <laughs> two and a half year ordeal for you. Um, but you're here and you're, you're riding and uh, you're riding e-bikes now. Yeah. And I want to talk a little bit about your relationship with e-bikes now in general. Like, do you ride them exclusively? Uh, Do you ride commuter bikes? Do you ride road bikes? Do you ride gravel bikes? Tell me a little bit about how you're still riding bikes right now. I have always been a fan of the Um, e-bike. When I worked at Bicycle Magazine, we had, there were always a number of like e-commuters hanging around. Mm -hmm. They were our like lunch go-getters, you know? And I thought that was perfect because if it weren't for those, I probably would have been getting in a car. So I I am a fan of the e-bike. Yeah. Uh, I went to Europe a couple summers ago, and um, you know, Gloria Lou, my ex fiance, and I were riding these bikes that we'd ridden on like gravel roads yeah. uh, up into the Austrian Alps. It was beautiful, mm-hmm. uh, and we had you know specifically requested to rent analog bikes, and were given analog <laughs> bikes, and they like you know pulled them out of the dustiest corner of the basement. Yeah. And they're like, Who? no one asked for this. Anymore. Who's doing this anymore? Yeah. <laughs> and sure enough, you know, we were like sweating up these long ass climbs, and like families, you know, grandma, grandpa, and like. 10 year olds were like zooming past us on e-bikes <laughs> and then we'd all be having lunch together and we're like, they're having more fun than us. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> um, 
So, you know, here I am. I uh, started riding bikes again about a year and a half after the initial injury. Mm -hmm. uh, no, I'm sorry, about a year after. Okay. Um, and, you know, at first I like started out riding on a Yuba cargo bike that I own mm -hmm. uh, because I thought, okay, here's a bike where I can have my, I can put my, I can have my butt on the saddle and still put my foot on the ground. Yeah, sure, sure. That seemed important. Yeah. And it worked. I was able to start riding again. Mm -hmm. um, I, at that time, like I was, I would wear sneakers and mm -hmm. the bike had platform pedals and I would just like use two toe straps and just like lash my foot to the pedal, yeah, my yeah. left foot, the left leg is paralyzed. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, like this will be fine as long as. I remember that I put my right foot down first, <laughs> right, right. which is the opposite of how I used to do it. Yeah, sure. Um, and it was great um, for a while. And then I got super bored of riding bike paths, which was like all I could do because I wasn't strong enough mm -hmm. um, to get up any hill. Plus yeah. that bike weighs a million pounds. Yeah, right, right. So, you know, like as that year went on, that summer went on, got into the fall of 2020, um, I, you know, I was like, okay, I'm going to try, I'm going to try clipping in. And what I figured out was, what I figured out to do was I was going to ride a mountain bike with a dropper post. And I'm mm -hmm. like, okay, that'll make it easier to get on and off. Right. And also, if I need to put my foot down, I can drop the saddle. Mm -hmm. And that worked okay. Um, the problem I was having is because, like, again, my left leg has, I have very little control over it. Sure. So the my left heel would drift into the crank arm and then I'd get ejected out of the SPD pedal. Oh, jeez. Uh, which was, you know, not the safest thing in the world. And also, it was very frustrating. Yeah, yeah. But the, the mountain bike piece of it was working. Like the, the dropper post was letting me get on and off easily. If I came to uh, an intersection where I had to stop, I could easily put my foot down without, um, without coming off the saddle. Because I guess that's the other thing I should explain. My left leg is not st strong enough to support me standing on the pedals. Gotcha. Okay. So I can stand on my right foot. Mm -hmm. But if I need to put my right foot down, then obviously I can't be standing on my right foot. Right. That was good. And uh, you know, with that bike, I was able to get a little bit more mobility um, and a little bit more... You know, a much lighter bike. I was able to like start to ride up some inclines, mm -hmm. but still just very gentle inclines. Sure. And uh, frankly, it was getting boring <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. So for I, a competitive, I mean, yeah. going from a competitive cyclist to. Well, and I'm not even just a competition, just someone who loved being out there being, out being there. on beautiful roads and yeah. going places and having fun. Yeah. You know, the, the flat bike path gets old sure. pretty quickly. Yeah. So I tried to ride uh, this climb in Boulder called NCAR, which um, you know, anyone who lives in Boulder will be familiar with it. It's, yeah, yeah. it's a staple of South Boulder cycling. Mm -hmm. It is in my neighborhood, essentially. Mm -hmm. It's about, uh, it's maybe like a mile and a half. Yeah, it's not too long. Yeah. Not too long. I think it climbs 600 feet. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's not a small climb, but it's not crazy. Right, right. I couldn't get up it. Mm -hmm. And I, it was very deflating for me. I was like, you know, if I can't get up NCAR, like, I don't, I don't know if I want to ride bikes. Sure, sure. Uh, that was last fall. It was about a year ago. Yeah. And I basically stopped riding outdoors after that. Hmm. You know, I was on the kicker a lot. I was like riding for my cardio health. I, you know, still love the feeling of sweating and getting yeah. my heart elevated. Right. That was a really tough moment for me, mm -hmm. um, to realize like, wow, like, okay, I technically am checking the box of road a bike. Yeah. Right. Right. But it's not really doing what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, come springtime, I like, again, I'd spent all winter riding kicker mm -hmm. and I was like, all right, listen, maybe it's time for me to try and car again. Sure. So I got back on the mountain bike. Um, I had figured out that if I rode road pedals on the mountain bike, it was, you know, I have Shimano pedal, uh, red cleat with yeah. no float. Right. Uh, that kept my, my heel from crashing into the crank arm. So mm. solved that problem. The winter of work paid off. I was able to get up the climb, Good. but it was super hard. It was so hard <laughs> and I was wasted at the top. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then I like limped home. It took, you know, I felt just absolutely physically cracked. And again, this is a mile and a half. Like, right, this right. is not like I rode Alpe d'Huez or something. Yeah, right, sure. And then, you know, I had another one of these moments. It's like, wow, like, 
okay, check the box of road and car, but like, did I enjoy it? Sure. And I, I hadn't. Right. And, you know, I was thinking and thinking and thinking and I was like, you know, pretty quickly figured out like, okay, my problem is that I can't generate power with my left leg. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then there was this like light bulb moment where I was like, I just need more power. And in the year 2021, I can buy that. <laughs> yeah. Right. There you go. Um, and so I was fortunate to find exactly the bike I wanted, which was a uh, specialized turbo Creo, mm-hmm. um, at the pros closet. Um, you know, obviously bikes are hard to come by right now. So I was very fortunate to find the bike I wanted, uh, for sale, mm-hmm. bought it, spent the most money I've ever spent on a bike <laughs> by like a factor of three. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's um, an expensive one it was for sure. Expensive for yeah. sure. And, you know, obviously working in the bike industry, I've owned more expensive bikes, right, right, right. but I haven't paid, paid for, them. for one. <laughs> um, so I guess I saw it as like, you know, first of all, this is my happiness machine, so it's worth it. Yeah. But second of all, I'm also like maybe making up for some of the things that I've been a little karma. From. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and it's been awesome. So it's, you know, it's an e-gravel bike. Um, and I bought it in July and I immediately started like, uh, you know, riding gravel roads mm-hmm. and, um, and going on some group rides and it's been exactly what I hoped it would be. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, for me, it was a ticket back to the kind of riding that's like actually fun yeah. and uh, can be social. And, you know, like lets me reconnect with the cyclist that I was before this injury. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's actually my next question is, you know, going from being a competitive cyclist to not being able to ride up end car, which is like you said, a fairly mellow climb is incredibly disheartening to the point where you wanted to give up on this thing that had brought you so much joy over the years. Did it take a lot of reframing once you got the e-bike to sort of say, okay, I don't have to suffer to enjoy bikes. I can enjoy bikes for just enjoying bikes. We like to sometimes um, romanticize suffering. Yeah. I think that's kind of bullshit, personally. Like, okay, so you do intervals and they are hard. Yeah. Or you do a race and it is hard. Yeah. Are you really suffering? Hmm. I I would say no. Um, I would say like you're pushing yourself, you are learning to like go within yourself Mm -hmm. and like come out with something challenging. Like we all choose to do this, right? So I don't, I don't really think it's actually suffering. Sure, sure. At any point, you can in say, the truest sense of that word, yeah, yes, right. And also, like especially, I will, you know, say as a track racer, I had pretty much given up on the kind of suffering that sometimes you are forced to endure. Like I, you get stuck in a surprised rainstorm or something like yeah, that, sure. where you weren't expecting it to snow and suddenly it's <laughs> snowing. Like track racers, you know, we prefer perfect conditions. Sure, sure. Uh, I was quick to like ride indoors. Mm. Um, so I guess like to, to really get to what you're trying to ask me, I think is like, I still push myself hard to ride the e-bike. What it does for me is like, it, you know, it lets me go from pushing myself really hard to barely make it up this small climb in my neighborhood mm-hmm. to being able to push myself and get on top of uh, a really cool gravel ride mm-hmm. or ru- a gra- gravel climb that has an amazing view. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it lets me keep up with, you know, friends that I wouldn't otherwise be able to like ride with at a pace that was comfortable for everybody. Sure. I don't know. It, I mean, it's probably less than I was putting forth when I was really training at the high end. Sure. But it's still hard. It's yeah. still hard for yeah. me. Like I, it's not like I don't have a bike with a throttle, you know, I'm not just out there riding like a small motorcycle. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I'm pedaling and, you know, working hard to keep up with people and, uh, or working hard to, you know, get my heart rate up. But what it does is it kind of opens up a lot of trains to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it lets me, uh, it lets me go places that I wouldn't be able to get under my own power right now. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I laugh, I have a friend that I ride with, uh, pretty regularly who, um, like, you know, her mindset is like, oh, I'm always slowing Bernie down. 
And in reality, like I'm always like turning the motor up to keep up with her. <laughs> and you know, if it weren't for that motor, I would be dropped. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so that's what it is. It's yeah. not. It doesn't like make cycling easy. Yeah. It just makes cycling uh, faster, literally, yeah. literally yeah. faster. Right. Right. So I, I suspect I already know the answer to this question, at least to an extent. But you know, you mentioned before that you were already a fan of, of e-bikes before the accident and before all of this happened. Um, but I have a question specifically about e-road and e-gravel. Like, you, you know, you had the Yuba, you liked the lunch run with your e-bike. If you hadn't had this experience, do you think you would have embraced e-road and e-gravel specifically? Like, would it be something that as somebody who, you know, uh, was racing and doing all these other things and was, you know, you could, you could power yourself with both legs. Would you, do you think you would have had that draw to e-road and e-gravel or, uh, probably not at this stage for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think, you know, had this crash not happened, I think I was still like kind of winding down my bike racing, you yeah. know, yeah, I, I use the word career. It's not, I sure. It's never my job. So it's not really a career, right, like right. whatever I was, you know, I wasn't, I don't think I was going to really be able to like step away from it fully, but I was trying to think about like, okay, like, could I be a master's racer? Could mm-hmm. I, uh, you know, chill out? So I'm not training quite so much. Right. Um, but I think I, I had it in my head that I always wanted to maintain enough fitness that I could, you know, show up on the group ride and keep up and yeah. like, do a big road ride and, and have a good time doing it. Um, I didn't have it in my head that I was going to let myself like lose all my fitness and require a motor to, to do those things. Yeah. Right. Right. That said, I think, you know, I was increasingly becoming an advocate of it for like someone like my dad mm-hmm. who, um, he is a lifelong cyclist. He is the person who got me into cycling. Uh, he loves riding his bike. Um, but for him, you know, a big ride is 12 miles. Mm-hmm. And I think if he had an e-bike of some kind, like maybe he would enjoy a 25-mile ride. Yeah, right, right. So I, yeah, I don't, I don't know if it's something that I wanted for for me so much as something I think might be. Um, I was just more aware of the benefits for other kinds sure. of cyclists. Yeah, yeah. Um, Bernie, thank you so much for sharing your experience. It's uh, it's enlightening to see the different uh, applications of e-bikes for, for people who are in special circumstances, but really there's also plenty of applications for everyday riders like, uh, like, like me and, and like Ian Cleverly, who we're going to talk to after the break here. Uh, Bernie, thanks for joining me today. Uh, and for those of you listening, we're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, I'm going to be on the line, uh, with Ian Cleverly all the way in England. And, uh, we're going to talk about his relationship with e-bikes, uh, as he had some in for testing recently and has developed sort of a, a unique relationship with them. We'll be right back. Why, hello there. Podcast interruption alert, but I will only take a few short moments to say that if you're enjoying this podcast, you will love the regular magazine. So if you're not a reader already, then you can subscribe at ruler.cc for as little as six pounds per month. If you don't speak Northern Irish, that's six times 100 pennies. And for the price of a few coffees, you get regular columns from the wonderful Ned Bolting, myself, Orla Shinoui, and some of the very finest independent cycling journalism there is, all wrapped up in a wondrously beautiful publication. Go to ruler.cc. I'll leave you to it. So my name is Oren Peleg and I'm an investor in Lekker. Three things that really caught my eye. The first one is, is they're looking to change the insurance industry, which is a very large industry and I think needs change. The second thing is, is I'm deeply passionate about getting people onto wheel. 
We need to address our congestion and pollution crisis, and I believe that two wheels have a massive role to play in that. And the third thing is, I can see a growing trend around companies building on the strong communities that they have. And I think Lacquer's business model and the way they tap into the community of cyclists is something that's very much on trend at the moment. We are back with the Ruler Tech Podcast. I am your host, Dan Cavallari, and I am here with another celebrity, uh, Ian Cleverly, Ruler's very own executive editor. Ian, how's it going? Uh, I'm good, but I'm not. I'm not going to take the celebrity tag, Dan. Take that back right now. <laughs> Ian, Ian's fresh off of Ruler Alive, so th- is that a bleary look in your eye and, and exhaustion from all the fun you've been having? Yeah, it certainly is. Yeah, I, I don't know if "fresh" is the word to to use, but um, yeah, it was a it was a blast. It was an absolute blast. Three days of fun and games. Yeah, that sounds awesome to me. Um, you know, in, in the in the first part of the show, we spoke with Bernie, uh, Andrew Bernstein, about his experience with e-bikes uh, and how it has basically allowed him to uh, remain and thrive in the bike industry uh, where he spent so many years and to really enjoy bicycles, even despite his injuries. But, you know, there, there's, in, there's applications for e, e-road and e-gravel specifically, even if you're not injured, even if you're not, you know, elderly, you know, just Joe's like you and me who, you know, were reasonably fit and healthy, but there's still applications. And you recently had some experience with an e-gravel bike that uh, you, it seemed like you had a good experience. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Oh, I had no end of fun. I mean, I mean just, just sort of like to, to reel it back, I, I guess, um, as a kind of a, an old school roadie, I probably had the same kind of viewpoint that many did when they first sort of came on the scene. There is something kind of cheating about it, that it's not it's not kind of quite the real deal. What's the point of going cycling if you're actually not putting in the effort? And when you looked at the early models, they also, they were pretty horrific looking. And I suppose, I mean, who wants to go out on a, pug ugly bike it's just you know so there was that that dynamic as well and then the bikes got better i got unfitter and older <laughs> the whole sort of mindset changed for me and, and i and i and i started to sort of read and hear of other people's experiences about how it wasn't uh what the idea that i had in my head and i kind of started to listen and thought I mean, if, if you've got a guy like Sean Yates, right, an ex Tour de France stage winner, and he's got one of these things, and he says, do you know what, this has allowed me to 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 uh, keep riding because he's got a heart condition where he can't actually, I think he can't actually go above a certain heart rate. So he actually has to, you know, keep that in check. Otherwise, he wouldn't be able to do it. He would not be able to go out riding with his mates. And I thought, this is brilliant, you know. You know, and it, it, I think in in the first part of the show, Bernie said something pretty revealing where I'd said, you know, cycling, as cyclists, we, we tend to glorify suffering. And he, he said, you know, I don't I don't agree with that. But, and I think he made a good point there that, that we, we tend to um, glorify achievement. And I think that's more appropriate. And I think if you can, if you are at a point in your bicycle life where you can't, push the pedals like you could but you still want to achieve that high you know pass or you want to just basically finish the two-hour group ride and see your friends um that is achieving something so whether you're suffering or not is irrelevant and i think that to me is what 
is what e-bikes sort of open up. Um, you know, and, and I think most people who are opposed to e-road e and e-gravel have a fixation on that cheating aspect, but I don't know that uh, that matters a whole lot to the rest of the world that's not competing. Um, you know, wh when you were re riding this e-gravel bike, wh what situations were you riding it in? Were you racing? Were you just go out for your Sunday ride? Definitely not racing. No, but I, I'm interested you use that word achievement. Dan, I've achieved everything I can possibly achieve in this sport. I've gone as high as I'm going to go, the absolute pinnacle. Uh, and now it's all a little down, gentle downhill. Um, I'll tell you what sparked it. I, was, I went out for a, a, a gravel ride with my mate um, a couple of months back now, a, a you know, proper like four-hour, you know, gnarly kind of trip. And I was battered. I mean, he smashed me. And if I was riding with him two or three years ago, I'd, we, we, were, we were on a par. You know, if we were racing, I would beat him. And I just thought, well, you know, he's one of my best riding mates. What, what, what's, this, this is really not in the least bit enjoyable. So I, I managed to blag this, uh, this gravel e-bike from Ribble, bless him, and um, went out with him again two weeks later. And it was, it, it was perfect. We were just so evenly matched. And coming back to the, 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 the perception of e-bikes, I think, I, I don't know what sort of the e-bike delivery kind of situation is in the US. But all the delivery guys over here have these e-bikes where they just like they do two pedal strokes and boom, they're like 30 miles an hour. Do you know what I mean? And I think people kind of think, oh, that I, I, may, I think maybe that's why people think it's it's the cheating thing, um, because it's that that perception that you're actually not putting in any effort. The key word, I think, here is assistance. After a bit, you don't even notice it. Yeah, and I, I would argue, too, that I think e-bikes in general exist at a strange crossroads for, for the bike industry because it is, on the one hand, uh, another type of bicycle riding. But bro more broadly, this is a mobility uh, story. You know, e-bikes are opening up a mobility option for so many people, and that includes cargo bikes, you know, e-cargo bikes for city living. Or, But, I, you know, everybody says to me, well, what is the actual application for an e-road bike? Well, listen, you know, here where I live, when I was working up in Boulder, Colorado, I live, you know, 25 miles away. And, you know, I would ride that on my quote unquote analog bike. But some days I had to bring stuff to work and it was heavy. And sometimes I had to get there quick. And so an e-road bike in that situation to cover those 20 some odd miles was the perfect tool. Uh, and, and as another example, I have friends that live up in Nederland, Colorado, and it's possible to ride off road all the way down to Boulder. So if you want to commute, you know, via dirt roads all the way down to Boulder as your daily commute, uh, an e-gravel bike is the perfect tool. So I think there's, there's a visceral reaction to e-road bikes and e-gravel bikes as cheating. But I think if you take a step back to understand the applications as a broader mobility story, uh, e-bikes become a much more complex tool and a much more appropriate tool. The, the woman who lives opposite me, um, maybe six or eight months ago, I, I've never seen her on a bicycle in her life, you know, works for the National Health Service, um, would get in her little car and go off to work. Next thing I you know, she's out there with an e-bike. 
that's what you want. You know what I mean? You just need to change people's mindset. And it, and it's it's e-bikes are something that, that that allow people to to make that switch. And they wouldn't have without them. I don't. A lot of people wouldn't. So going back to where I took it riding, I then took it out to the um, French Alps, and it, I mean, it was just I would never have got up the climbs I was going up without it. Just wouldn't. I wouldn't. And it was it was, it was still a challenge. Don't get me wrong. You know, I was still having to make a lot of effort, but it was very very satisfying. You know, uh, loved it. Yeah. And I think the, the other part of that is, you know, I've, I've done a lot of those big climbs like the Gavia, which I always equate with one of the hardest climbs I've ever done. And it, and it was, I'm glad I accomplished it. I'm glad I got to the top on a, on a bike without a motor. But I, I also think about, okay, if I went back and I was on vacation with my family and wanted to get those grand views and be at the top and not be exhausted for it so that I can enjoy the experience. I mean, I would have no problem hopping on an e-road bike for that. Would I also still love to climb up, you know, without just under my own power? Absolutely. Uh, but I don't think we need to limit the way people enjoy bicycles. And I think that's what a lot of the conversation comes down to with e-bikes is uh, there's there's the people who are discovering these e-bikes and finding a new way to enjoy getting around and, and, and enjoying the sport. And there's others who maybe have never even thrown a leg over an e-bike saying, Oh yeah, you shouldn't do it because it's cheating. Well, why would you limit somebody's ability to have fun? You know, it doesn't, it doesn't jive with me. I don't understand that. So, um, I mean, my, my experience with e-bikes has been, uh, every single one I have ridden has been just so much fun, <laughs> just so much fun. It's like, you can't not smile. Absolutely. You know, and that's, that's what, that's what bikes are first and foremost, isn't it? When you rate, when you strip everything back and come back to it, fun, if you're not having fun, then you know why bother i mean the the, the only uh, the, the only kind of st- sticking point is you know at what at what point do you stop the uh, the the old sort of n plus 1 scenario it's like how many more bikes do i need but i tell you, I, I this kind of sparked my when i was away on on holiday with my wife in italy i came back and on the way back i said to her let's get rid of the car you know, it, I mean, and we've had this conversation before and I said, oh, no, I need it for work and I need it for this. Do you know what? It's been sitting outside there for two years. It's only, it's only been to the supermarket and back. We don't need it. We don't need it. So now I've got to decide what kind of e-bike do I want. <laughs> there you go. You could buy a few with what you'd probably sell your car for. <laughs> do I buy the gravel bike or do I buy a cargo bike? Or I don't know, but it's an interesting conundrum to have, isn't it? You know, the, the, amount, of, the amount of money I'm saving getting rid of that car. I'll tell you what, I mean, I'm in, I'm in the same boat I, and I live in suburbia and it's not, it's not easy to get to anything useful, but I could still get to anything. I can get, still get to the grocery store easily enough with an e-bike. Um, and my truck like you has been just sitting in the driveway most of the time. So, you know, people talk about the high cost of e-bikes and I say, well, have you looked at the price of cars lately? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and if you can replace your car with an e-bike, which in the U S that's not possible for most people, I'll, I'll be completely honest. Our infrastructure is just not set up for that. But there are people who can. And so I think the price, uh, when you balk at a $5,500 e-bike, but you're not, but you're also willing to walk in and spend $45,000 on a SUV, you know, that math, you know, I think you need to re-examine that math a little bit. <laughs> but like, you know, you're in a place where that mobility option is totally 
it's totally ready for you, right? You can get rid of that car and get an e and a get a cargo bike, and there's your grocery store run. Totally can. As soon as we finish recording, I'm straight on Facebook Marketplace. The Skoda is gone. <laughs> Somebody's going to get a sweet deal on a Skoda today. <laughs> I, I hope nobody holds me to that, but I'm, I'm seriously thinking about that. And I think that would make a great article. I think you should write about it if you do. I mean, there's there's a lot of, a lot to be learned in that in that type of transition because I think a lot of people do want to do exactly that, but are afraid to. So, Ian, you could you could be their bike savior. Okay, let's do that. I am your new leader. Woo! <laughs> Ian, thanks for uh, spending some time today. Um, uh, can you give the fans at home uh, where can they reach you and uh, Rulur on social media? Um, I am. Um, ooh, don't know what I am on Twitter. Ian Cleverly, I think. You can always go to ruler.cc and, and uh, you know and have a shout out there. Oh, yeah, I'll get loads of people hold, holding me to that selling the car thing, won't I? I know it, but yeah, that's fine. That's fine. I just good to, to keep focused. And if anybody wants to read about my um, uh, crazy e-bike experience, well, it's not so crazy. My e-bike experience is in the current issue right now. Um, and you can, of course, I did confirm you are Ian Cleverly on Twitter. Uh, and yes, and of course, you can reach uh, Ruler Magazine at Ruler Magazine on social media. And I am also on social media at Brown Tide Dan. And I would always, I'm always excited to hear from you about this podcast episode or any of the tech podcasts that we've done so far for Rulur, uh, please do reach out. And uh, Ian, thank you for joining me today. And to all of you listening, thank you for listening. This was a, a fun episode. We will catch you next time. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.